0: What do you do? A delusional soccer podcast.
1: What do you do? A soccer delusion shared by two brothers in close association.
0: We're going to start this one off with a story titled Four Stars Too Many. One of the first things you do when you start a podcast is you enlist some help from close friends, family, and listeners to throw a five-star rating your way to help get some exposure for your podcast. This seems like a simple task for most, except we didn't take into account that our wonderful mother was dealing with a dysfunctional iPhone shocking. So we hear back from most people. They tell us it's done. Five-star rating confirmed. We're all good. Then, in a moment of panic, we get a message in our family group chat. I tried to hit five stars, and I accidentally hit one because my phone sucks. To which I respond that it was completely counterproductive. At the end of the day, the problem is sorted out, but to finish it off, Jared then asked everyone except for our mother to rate his film and TV podcast Cue the Banter. Apparently, she thought that Five stars was four stars too many.
1: <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mom. Uh, oh, you know, I I she pocket dialed me the other day, and her phone was on her nightstand. <laughs> How? I don't know. I called her, and she's like, "What's up?" Like it's like you pocket dialed me, and she's like, "My phone's on the nightstand." And then I got another call from her. For.
0: For someone that uses technology so often, she is really, really bad with it. Mm-hmm. She's good enough to be able to listen to this podcast and then to text us in anger that we're calling her out. But uh, there's probably going to be a few typos in that in that message and maybe a couple extra spaces because she's pretty consistent with that in her
1: messages. That That's her favorite thing. It's, uh, that's um, her MO. Enter, space, enter, 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 <laughs> enter, send.
0: But nonetheless, she ended up giving us five stars, which I don't know that we deserve. So honestly, I think it was four stars too many that she ended up giving us. But um, what are you going to do, man? What are
1: you going to do? Yeah, I mean, it's probably the, probably the most honest review we've gotten so yeah. far is the one. No I've doubt heard.
0: about it. I respect her for it. I really do. Um, so let's uh, let's hop right into it. We've got a lot to talk about. Europa League, Champions League. Um, we've got. Still such a tight top four race, but Super Sunday this week took us back um, to the last time we had a good title race. Now in 2014, um, Liverpool-Chelsea took place on the same day as Man City and Crystal Palace. Man City got a 2-0 win back in 2014, and of course the Steven Gerrard slip gifted Chelsea a win. They ended up winning that match 2-0. Um, so pretty interesting that these matches take place on the same day yet again. Uh, five years down the road, when these teams are going head to head in the title race, um, it started with City. They get a win again, three one over Palace. Um, they're kind of just <laughs> going along. They're, they you know they scored early and dealt with Palace uh, fairly easily, um, but. A, a great result, um, you know. Sterling with two goals; he's having an unbelievable season. Um, so, I mean, City, City flying high, still looking good.
1: Yeah, and it was it was it was expected the performance that they were able to put on. But again, it wasn't straightforward necessarily, considering they lost to Palace earlier in the year. Um, but you know, business as usual for Man City. This this race is heating up. I mean, you look at it. Um, Liverpool are up two points. City obviously have a game in hand, but they've both won their last five. So it's going to be exciting if that trend continues. City will, of course, go on to win. But, you know, they also have that uh, big Manchester derby coming up.
0: Yeah, that that's the game in hand. That's – it's insane that the – that you know, you, you look at it and you say, okay, they've got a game in hand, so it's City. They're going to get the three points, but a Manchester derby is going to be – a, a tough tough match to get all three points from but uh city are one of the best teams in the world right now and manchester united are you know they they have slowed down since uh oligan Solshar took over you know a, a bright start for them but um that that's going to be such an exciting match next week
1: yeah well i mean and you look at you look at city um they have to feel like they have the advantage. Yet Liverpool sitting right behind them. They got their tough matches out of the way. There, there two big matches remaining before the season was up, or to at least two of them uh, were. You know, Tottenham and Chelsea, and they came away with six points. So they have to be feeling very good about that. Um, that being said, just I let's get rid of. I hate that. I hate the uh the game in hand nonsense that we deal with while watching while looking at the
0: it's so it's so frustrating because it's you're you're making predictions based on speculation and it's just it's just not how that works you're you're like saying oh numbers so they have they have a higher ceiling but like right still like liverpool they can reach 97 points city can reach 98 but if they don't get all three in the manchester derby then it's back in the head. The title is back in the hands of Liverpool and it would be theirs to lose at that point. But, yeah,
1: and I, I just hate looking, I hate looking at the race with that and having to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. It's like Chelsea it's, before like last week, Chelsea beat West Ham and it was like Chelsea moving to third. And then a week goes by, they play a game, they lose. They're now sitting in fifth and they have a game in hand over the team in six. So it's like, like it doesn't, I feel like we get too carried away with each little result, considering that there's also like, there's a lot of factors going into it like game like but let's not talk about oh this team moved into the top four this is huge it's like well the, the other team still has to play it doesn't you know like it's so much easier to take a look at the table and just analyze it when all the teams have played these, the same amount of games yeah I
0: think on the reverse side of it though you look at um, and we're gonna get to this a little bit later but you look at how Arsenal now moved into the top four but they still have a game in hand. Over the fifth place team. So then it's that's more of a cushion. The other way, it's speculative speculative wh- whether or not they're going to win a game. But this time, it's listen, we are, we've played less games and have the same amount of points over the team below us. So mm-hmm. the team that's played less games looks at it as a cushion. The team that's played it, it's I, but I, I completely get what you're saying. It's kind of uh, frustrating to deal with, but yeah. um. So let's let's look at Liverpool-Chelsea. Two goals in the second half, within 10 minutes of the second half, but two goals within three minutes of each other. Um, Sadio Mane scores first on that header. Um, Had a pretty big open target in the goal to aim for there um, with the way that the play uh, was set up. But the one that everyone's talking about, Mohamed Salah in the fifty-third minute. What a strike that was! How did he hit that ball so cleanly? Just a rocket, no curl on it, just straight into the top corner. Um, Keppa had no no shot on that.
1: Yeah, um, and it's goal of the season contender certainly. And you know, they they've been talking they were talking about it going into the game. Is he hadn't scored for quite some time against the top six sides. Um, I don't know if he had done so at all this season. Um, so that was a huge moment. That was something that was being talked about the entire time, uh, and he just like just sent that game. It was over once that once that went in. There, you didn't see Chelsea coming back. Uh, Chelsea just do what they they've done all, so much this season. They you know they play you know, the first half goes. Scoreless, and then they they give up a goal very early into the second half, and this time it was two goals, and there was no turning back.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a, a crumbling, but a couple chances for Chelsea. Um, right after that goal was scored, that Chelsea actually looked really good after they went down two nil. Um, I'm trying to remember who played the ball in over the top, but hazards on it one on one with Allison, and he hits the he hits the post on a on a low driven shot. Um, so they were getting in the right areas, but. Um, just couldn't couldn't find a goal and um, you know watching this the the hazard is always the biggest threat for Chelsea mm-hmm. um, which is worrying with transfer speculation um, it's a he's a player that as as a uh, as an individual who's looking for the best out of the league it's it's ex- not it's it's sad to see him go if he does end up leaving because the excitement that he brings but um, looking at this game, looking at Chelsea in, in an attacking sense, I never thought that Higuain was getting into any position to get them a goal back, whether it's by scoring it himself or helping set it up, because Hazard was, was really vacating those spaces that you would expect Higuain to be in, but he really didn't, didn't show any, any positive um, in the attacking sense, when I, at least from what I saw. Did you see it differently at all, or
1: uh, in terms of Higuain? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I saw it exactly the same way. Higuain has, has he's hardly brought anything to Chelsea so far, uh, besides maybe competition and motivation for Giroud, because I think Giroud has looked better um, since Higuain has has come in. That's the only positive I've seen uh, overall from from Higuain. And I mean, so so in that sense, Giroud playing in the midweek. Higuain not really bringing much. It wasn't too much of a like. It wasn't too much of a surprise to see Hazard in the false nine. Um, I don't necessarily think that was the right choice to make. Because I mean, again, we we can talk about it all, all the live long day about how what you're doing by taking your best player out of his best position and how that can affect the team. And not to say Hazard didn't have his chances. He definitely had his chances to put some away, and you'd expect him to put some of those away, but. Again, when you're putting him, playing him out of position, there's a there's a sense of uh, comfort that you sort of lose in that scenario.
0: Yeah, and um, uh, like you mentioned, that uh, Giroud has actually looked better since Higuaín um, since Higuain arrived. Giroud is a player that when you start to doubt him, that is when he shows how good he really can be, um, which is almost a frustrating uh, characteristic because. It's all okay if you would have showed that you were this good, maybe we would have improved in a different area or not. Just not brought in a player like Higuain. Um, we would have kind of just let things stay the way they were.
1: But um, it was—I mean, with Zidane, it was weird. Chelsea never really gave him an outright chance. Like he—he he would come in occasionally. He would start a little bit in the beginning of the season, and then maybe one or two games would go by without him scoring. And they would they would play Marata, or then they'd switch to the false. They did the false nine for a little bit, and then that they was got horrendous. rid of Marata. What a bad period! Yeah, um, they they got rid of Marata, brought in Higuain, and there was never a sense it was like Giroud is the number. He was never really given the number one mantle at striker. It seemed like he there was a couple games where he played pretty well, and everyone was saying, "Okay, like play him because him and Hazard have a good understanding together." Um, it never really seemed like he got a long-term chance. And then, like I said, Higuain came in, and now Higuain's been playing uh, in, the big, in the Premier League, and then Giroud has been succeeding in Europa League. Obviously, it's different competition, but you, you got the sense that he never was really given, like I said, that, that mantle to be the number one uh, guy up top.
0: Yeah, and in a, in a match where Higuain and Giroud are both on the bench, where you did start with Hazard as a false nine, and you had Willian and Callum Hudson-Odoi, um, you, you don't expect Giroud to get on the pitch, not because of his capability, but because of the manager's um, view of him. And you, mm-hmm. you understand that um, Maurizio Sarri is not the world's biggest Olivier Giroud fan. Um and not to say that when Giroud has gotten his chances and started, it's he he hasn't been uh, a top top player. So it's it's a position of weakness for for this Chelsea side, uh, ha, not having a center forward that you can rely on to score two of out of, out of every three or three out of every four, or, or at least be contributing goals or assists. Um, yeah. It's just not something you've had, and it, it's the, the Chelsea team has struggled for a few seasons like that. So, um, you know, uh, you you're still Chelsea still misses Diego Costa. Yeah, and that's until they replace him. Uh, until they I replace mean, him, it's going to continue to be the same. And going forward, you're going to you're going to also have to replace Eden Hazard. Um, in all likelihood,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been frustrating, and uh, yeah, I should I should say, I mean, Olivier Giroud never necessarily took the 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 number one role, you know, by the scruff of the neck and just took it over. Like he never, I don't think he was by any means playing where it was like, all right, this guy's undoubtedly the number one guy. I just think he never was given that full chance to maybe do so. Um, but yeah, I mean, false nine was interesting. It's worked for us before. It worked for, against against City. You have to think maybe Sarri thought that Higuain or Giroud would have gotten isolated uh, up top uh, playing against Liverpool's, you know, the Liverpool's style of, of play. Um, but I, I would say my big, I mean, Sarri is learning a little here with Chelsea. I think, yeah, the false nine still just didn't seem like the right thing. Obviously, you can say that afterwards, sort of like Monday morning quarterback it, but... um you know he's he he finally he's he's starting Callum Hudson-Odoi a lot more in in the big games he saved him for this game he, you know he's playing Ruben Loftus-Cheek who i think is the best option in in that in that third midfield position and you know chelsea i've seen like chelsea fans complaining about substitutions bringing on Ross Barkley later on it's like look the thing is he played the guys he he's played he's playing the young players that everyone's been complaining that he hasn't been playing, you know. When that doesn't work, what else is he supposed to do? So like the substitutions that there was people who were criticizing the substitutions. I don't necessarily have. He had two substitutions to make. Rudiger got injured in the first half. He had two thing he had two choices to make in the second half, in terms to like change the tide of the game. Um, so for once, I was not actually upset with his substitutions, and I don't blame him for that. But again. Maybe he was giving Chelsea their own disadvantage by how he set up.
0: Yeah, um, it, you know, when a manager has a specific plan for a game and then an injury occurs, it completely changes everything. It really does. So, if you know he starts with a false nine, then he his plans were, I'd assume, um, his first three choices of subs were going to be Pedro on for Willian um Higuaín on for hudson Adoy and then Barkley on for Loftus-Cheek. If you guys had a lead, if Chelsea had a lead, maybe a shout for Kovacic to at, to go in instead of Barkley, but you guys Chelsea needed a goal. So, um so when you have a plan kind of set up like that, it's incredibly frustrating to have an injury um to to one of your center backs and to the better of your two center backs. And um, it that can severely alter the game because then, you know, Christensen comes on in the 40th minute, they last until halftime, great, but 10 minutes into the second half, you're down two goals, and things aren't looking good. So you're forced into a change, um, maybe a little at a different time than you wanted to make it, but um, the injury plays a, a huge factor in this. Now, the one thing I will say, and I... I have I've watched Chelsea a fair bit this season, um, and really, it, it to me what it comes down to is that although N'Golo Conte has looked better, um, in an attacking sense, he's not it, it. And we we said this on we've been talking about this since the first week of the season. Just because he looks better in an attacking sense doesn't mean that that's best for the team. He you don't have that Chelsea doesn't have a player that's specifically meant to sit in front of the back four and disturb the piece of the of the attacking three and you need that against a team that has Firmino, Mane and Salah in it. So mm-hmm. in, not that I'm not saying I expected him to go away from Jorginho as the holding midfielder but I think Chelsea would have been much better off in that situation. I think they would have been much better off all of this season had they not bought Jorginho, and Angolo Conte was still the holding midfielder. And instead of um, instead of buying Jorginho, you buy someone maybe that's got a little bit more of an attacking sense, or you just use the guys that you have that are an attacking sense. But that it every time I watch Chelsea, I think, wow, you know who would have stopped that attack, Conte because that's what he's made a living off of doing. He's mm-hmm. won the premier league twice. He's won the world cup. And now we're, we're we have a manager who's decided I'm going to change the way he plays. doesn't make yeah. sense to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing is I, it had they not bought Jorginho, I still don't think Conte sits in that role. It's just not what his system calls for. I think they would have played Fabregas a lot more in, in that role. And maybe Kovacic dropped back. Like he has sometimes this season. It's just not, it's, the Conte, the Conte role doesn't exist in sorry's formation. It just doesn't. Um, I think he has done a lot better. Like, he is—I think he is incredible. Like, before the beginning of the season, um, first half of the season, it was always, okay, he'd have some flashes where he, he'd be pretty good in that advanced role. Um, and But it would just—it would be different. And there were some games where he's just like, okay, you know, he misplays a pass or, you know, he, he doesn't have his shooting boots Rarely, um, he is, he's growing on me in that position. Not to say it's his best position, obviously. His, the, the, the role that he used to have with the team, the role that he has with the France is his best position. He's incredible in transition. I think he, he links up play pretty well. He is constantly, he's, he's a, his threat, his defensive threat is now moved up higher on the pitch. So I don't necessarily have too much of a problem with what he's done, I just think that the system—it's the system itself. The system doesn't call for him in his best yeah, position, it, it,
0: exactly. And I want to be clear on that. I don't—I'm not taking a shot at Conte. I think Conte has been very good because, as a player, you—you you almost have a ceiling as to what you can achieve with the way that your manager sets you up, the the spot he puts you in. It's just like with right. Manchester United. Paul Pogba had a ceiling under. Uh, Jose Mourinho, and that ceiling has been lifted under Ali Gunnar Solskjaer because he's playing him in the right right spot. And um, the way that Conte won the title for Leicester, the way that he helped win the title for Chelsea, the way that he was integral in winning the World Cup for France, it's not a pretty job that's done. No. But he does it better than anybody in the world, and to take him out of that role because of your system doesn't make sense
1: and no all. No, no. I mean and- I yeah it, it doesn't I, I I personally think when Barkley came on I thought Conte as good as Conte has been I think Conte should have been taken off I think Loftus-Cheek was probably Chelsea's best player throughout um the game yesterday I thought he I thought he he's been he's been really good I'm glad to see him starting to play more for them in big games. And I think with all the stuff that's going on with Hudson and I think people forget that like we've been calling for lost his cheek to play more for Chelsea. And he finally is. And I think he's finally taking on that mantle as like Chelsea's, you know, solid midfield option.
0: Yeah. And it, it seems like he finally, finally has a place at Stanford bridge. So, um, he's, he's looked fantastic recently for Chelsea. Once he's been given that chance, which is apparently all, all it has taken. But, um, Europe's coming up next. We're going to talk Champions League and Europa League. But first, let's take a quick ad break. Welcome back to Footy Ado, a delusional soccer podcast. We're going to move on now to the UEFA Champions League. Um, First, discussing the results um, from the first leg before we look at what we expect from the second leg. Uh, Man City Tottenham. Tottenham gets a 1-0 win over City in the new stadium that they have yet to allow a goal
1: in. Wow. and I can hear you patting yourself on the back.
0: If you think that, that even because I predicted it, that I'm happy about a Spurs win, you are out of your mind. You, some might, some might even say, are delusional.
1: I left a moment of silence there so you could maybe like add a sound effect. I'm not going to, but it's I delusional. also I also wanted
0: you to leave a moment of silence there.
1: Funny story. So on cue, the banter, me and Nick were talking about something, and we mentioned a sound effect that takes place in the show, a text alert of one of the episodes, and he's like, "And I'm gonna put it right here," and he leaves a moment of silence, and then I was like, "Yeah, he did remember," but then he edited the podcast a little bit more. So when he did it on the episode, there was a there was absolute silence. We kept
0: talking a minute later. If that came in <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right for Nick that seems that seems like that seems like a, a vertigo Nick type thing like the goof my boy and it clearly was not goofy um, oh. so if only that was soccer related we could tell that at the beginning of an episode I mean we should probably tell it anyway but um let's uh let's actually talk about this what did you see from like this city lineup to me um signaled that the Premier League is more important than the Champions League when the assumption has been uh, Champions League or bust for City.
1: Yeah, I mean it was interesting. Like, I mean De Bruyne is is huge. Not playing De Bruyne was absolutely huge. I remember I saw when it got announced. It was like City play a like a a weird lineup and like a random lineup. And I looked at it. I'm like. Damn, this lineup's still pretty good. <laughs> like yeah, it's, I could still that's
0: that's the most frustrating part about it as a fan of another team. Like it's they're, yeah, they're still like, look they're still looking okay.
1: Like this this team could still beat Spurs. Yeah. Um but again, obviously, you know, De Bruyne, I think, is a game changer and that was that was a bit surprising. Um yeah, maybe maybe it's down to them thinking the Premier League's more important, or maybe it's down to them thinking, look if we, I, 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 Pep trusts this team, and you know, even if we lose one nil, um, we can make it up in the in the home leg. Uh, but who knows?
0: Who knows? Yeah, and so Tottenham lose Harry Kane to injury. Um, he, it looks like he's going to miss the rest of the season. But in the Premier League, uh, they've played five games without him this season, and they've picked up fifteen points out of fifteen. So yeah. not like I said, it's not the like I said in the past few weeks. It's not the worst problem for them to have as a team that used to be. Oh, uh, they're the Harry Kane team. They can't do it without him. They've done it without him, and um, I think that they are going to continue to to roll on through. And I think they get through the second leg um, and get to the semifinal. But more to the team selection, it's like you look at Riyad Mahrez, fantastic player, won Player of the Year um, when Lester won the title. Finally got his move to City, and he's just not lived up to the hype of being at a club like City where the competition is so tough. But um, we already said De De Bruyne not in the lineup, Sané not in the lineup, and those two players didn't come on until the 89th minute. So they made one change. At first, it was Gabriel Jesus. He came on for Sergio Aguero, and then two 89th minute substitutions where David Silva and Mars come off and De Bruyne and Sané go on. Um, so it's a, a weird set of credit, credit to Spurs for winning this match because just because they didn't play De Bruyne and Sané doesn't mean that it was an easy game, but, uh, son is pretty much taking this, this stadium as, as, and he's making it his own. He, he has looked so good in the stadium so far. Scored the first goal. Um, and he's got a winner in a Champions League quarterfinal um, now here. And uh, But also, huge moment in the match. Hugo Lloris saving Sergio Aguero's penalty. How big was that? I mean,
1: yeah, Pep couldn't even watch it. He was looking down, I think. I saw a clip of it. And uh, Arteta had to hit him on the shoulder after he missed it. Huge. And it, like... Not something you would expect from Sergio Aguero, um, in such a big moment. But then again, I mean, I guess you look at maybe this like if they go out again to another Premier League side in the Champions League, that's gonna be that's gonna be a big. There's gonna be a lot of criticism to come down on on Pep. You know, there's there's always been oh you know you were able to win the Champions League, but that was when you had Messi and you had this mm-hmm. great Barcelona team failed Can, to win the Champions League with Bayern Munich. Right. And then he comes here and it was the same stuff. Is he going to be able to, well, I mean, the first criticisms were, or questions were, is he going to be able to do this in the Premier League? He proved that, but he's still struggling. It it It's showing, what it says to me is this, the pressure's the pressures on them. I think in, in the league, they've won the league before. So I think they are going to do a great job at winning the, their remaining games in the league and, and possibly go, like if they do, they'll they'll win the title. But I think the pressure is on in the Champions League, and it's getting to them a little bit. You know, Aguero is a player that we've seen in the league score amazing goals, but we've also seen him not carry that form over to the big pressure stage of, say, the Argentina national team. And now we're seeing him miss a penalty in the Champions League. Is this pressure mounting too much on these players? Is the stage too big for them?
0: you know the this it, not everyone is going to win a champions league it's a it's a such a prestigious prize um and it's not easy but pep guardiola was not brought in to win the carabao cup he was not brought in to just win the premier league he's done he's won the premier league in impressive fashion i understand that but they had won the Premier League, with the manager before him. They had done that already. They had with two other managers. He's not the first guy to come in and win trophies at City since money took over. But he was supposed to be the answer as to uh, where they're going to find their first Champions League trophy. Right now, it's not looking too good for them. This is his third season. Um, You know, they went out. Did they go out the semifinal two two straight years?
1: Um, Was it Real Madrid? No, it wasn't the semifinal. They or... lost to they lost to um, Monaco.
0: Okay, so um, they lose to Monaco. They lose to last year. They lost to uh, Liverpool, um, and it's just I I don't know what to say because I get it. You don't want to say hey, we don't want to win the Premier League, but I think your rotated squad needs to come in your next league match, not in the Champions League.
1: Yeah. Play bench De Bruyne for I don't know, Crystal Palace and play him against Tottenham, like it's it seems like an easy decision to make. Yeah. Again, but I mean and we're being critical, like this this leg is far from over. I I, I, I expect in a city uh, Tottenham game at the Etihad for City to win whatever competition it is so if they do that like they're already you know like they win I expect them to score so I expect them to bring this this full tie level at the very least Um, I expect them to win still but if they don't it's I mean, there's got to be some questions going to be asked because if it's just a because again, like we talked about with the with the Manchester Derby coming up and Liverpool with a huge win against Chelsea, uh, City need a result now against United. They absolutely need a draw at the very least to keep their advantage.
0: Well, how big is the mental test because they've got they've got Spurs at the Etihad in the Champions League, and then on Saturday morning they've got Spurs at the Etihad again. Yeah. So and they're they're going they do Spurs Palace Spurs Spurs United. So yeah. I get why rotation is necessary. Yeah, but I would I would have done it differently. And you know the rotation it's going to be interesting to see with um, Man City playing Spurs and then United in consecutive matches four days apart. What's the rotation going to be like? Who are they going to? Which match gets the best eleven, and which match gets the rotation out of those? Because um, then the following weekend they've they've got a trip to Burnley, which you'd expect them to win with whatever eleven players they put out there. You could put it injured Claudio Bravo in goal and still expect to win against Burnley. But although I mean Burnley are
1: playing better, at three straight wins for Burnley.
0: Yeah, but it's it Man City it's is Bur- one of the one of the best teams in no, I in the the I history of of English football. So yeah, like, like you could, I'm not saying you could put an injured Claudio Bravo at striker, but I'm just saying that you maybe um, should <laughs> might, might trust them there more than in goal, but I, it's, <laughs> you expect, you expect them to win, but the it's, it's an incredibly tough April. What a tough month for city. Um, so they, of course, will face, the winner of this tie faces the winner of the Ajax and Juventus tie 1-1 a great great result great few minutes uh 45th minute Juventus scored and 46th minute Ajax scored uh David Neres took on the entire Juventus team and found the back of the net so um,
1: that was either side of the half too right yes
0: yes so uh in the in the final minute of the first half and in the first minute of the second half that's where the goals came from um but then my favorite, on... you know what my
1: favorite is my favorite is when a team scores in the 47th minute of like X stoppage time of the first half and then another team scores in the second half in the 46th minute
0: yeah that's it's always an interesting one to say that the <laughs> yeah the 46 minute goal came after the 47th minute goal yeah um but uh now on to Barcelona Manchester United um Manchester United looked actually looked pretty good at home against Barcelona but that being said, Barcelona still got a one 0 win. They keep a clean sheet and they've got an away goal. Now United have the task of going to Barcelona and getting two goals without conceding. So um, I think Barcelona have put themselves put themselves in a great position to win, but United are not to be taken lightly.
1: No, no. I mean, they did it. They, You know, I mean, the only goal that was scored was an own goal. Um, by Luke Shaw. I mean, it was, but so so you have to like the heart that United showed, um, especially considering the lineup that they put out. I know people were so ready to completely trash uh, the team afterwards once they saw that McTominay was in the was in the lineup, but I thought he he played pretty well, and then after they came, a lot of people said he had Messi in his pocket, which I I don't think that's I don't think that's true. I'm pretty sure Messi played very well and l- contributed to the goal that, or the play that led to the own goal. So I wouldn't necessarily brag about someone being in your pocket when they helped contribute to the only goal of the match. But um, yeah, United have to feel pretty good. I think uh, they got to keep their heads up and I think there's, there's still a chance for them to, to maybe pull off another shock.
0: Certainly not as easy as, this it's going to be against uh, as it was against PSG, but um, PSG have, built a reputation on losing from situations that nobody can lose from and Barcelona, not quite uh, with that reputation. They have a reputation of bossing anyone that goes to the camp. Now. Yeah. Um, so winner of that tie will then play the winner of the Porto Liverpool tie Liverpool two nil at Anfield, um, business as usual for them. Pretty much expected, um, Really, they uh, they beat Porto five nil on aggregate last season in the Champions League. Um, so, really, not expecting much, much anything different from from leg two than we got in leg one.
1: Yeah, and I mean the the prospect of a Liverpool Barcelona semifinal is very enticing. That would be a very exciting matchup, I think. Yeah, the two
0: excellent uh, attacking threes. Um, depending on it, who Liverpool sends out. You, it, it could be a great midfield battle. Um, Virgil van Dijk is a fantastic center back. And you've got uh, Gerard Piquet in the center of defense for Barcelona. And then uh, fullback battles as well. Like it just from top to bottom, both goalkeepers, Alisson and uh, Ter Stegen. They just, those are two unbelievable teams that would be, a great, great semifinal. But even if we didn't get that, uh, the one I would expect the most would be Liverpool United, and that would be just as exciting
1: to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Porto, whatever matchup <laughs> we yeah. get. And, we don't give yeah. you a chance. It's not going to be yeah. Porto-Barcelona. Yeah, and hey, don't forget uh, the Coutinho-Liverpool uh, matchup could be something exciting as yeah.
0: well. Yeah, it could be. That could be. Like very quickly, that could be uh, something. He he left just last January, and then just to to go back and play him so soon, it,
1: it's well. He's not, not gonna. It, he'll be on the bench. Yeah, of he'll course. Of course. He's not gonna play. Of course, <laughs> It'd be a great game for him to watch. But
0: could could you imagine being a Liverpool fan and watching Coutinho score the winning goal against you? Yeah, ugh, that would be tough to stomach. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, we're all set there in the Champions League moving
1: on to the Europa
0: League. Which um, you have some
1: takes you are re- preparing for me. I do. This one. I do very excited about talking about the Europa League, which is sad. It's it's we we're it's what we look forward to is the Europa League. Yeah, now. isn't it so sad because it's now so it's been now.
0: multiple seasons in a row for Arsenal in the Europa League and league like, it's just This was the I first look forward to... many for
1: Chelsea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right now Arsenal are in the driver's seat for the Europa League. I understand that they have poor away form, but they kept a clean sheet at home against Napoli. Napoli failed to get an away goal with several chances. They should, Napoli should have at least scored one. Arsenal should have scored more, but um, right now, looking at the four ties, you can't tell me that you don't see Arsenal as the top team to uh, take the Europa League this season just because that... that Two goal cushion they have over Napoli, and I'm I I know that next week we're going to be sitting here. I'm going to be eating my words because Napoli win three nil at home, and Arsenal are out. But um, you look, Benfica beat Frankfurt four uh, two, Valencia beat Villarreal three one, and Chelsea beat Slavia Praha, uh, Slavia Prague one um, nil. Uh, so the one thing I will say, little disappointed that if Arsenal get through, it'll be against Valencia. Because I know that there's two uh, players on Valencia that used to play for Arsenal, in Francis Coquelin and Gabriel Paulista. That'd but if fun. it was if it was Arsenal and Villarreal, that means that Santi Cazorla gets to go back to the Emirates, which that would that would have been uh, one of the most exciting moments of the season if that if that tie could find its way, if Villarreal can find their way back from a two goal deficit, um, and Arsenal can. Can hold their lead. That would be, that would be exciting for for any Arsenal fan.
1: Yeah. So what you're saying, Villarreal Napoli is going to be a very exciting semifinal. Yeah, yeah. Really looking <laughs> forward to it. Uh, no, I mean, that's 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 interesting though. It's a cool like no matter what. Like yeah, obviously Santiago Orlo would be a, a cooler moment. But no matter what, Arsenal gets to play against some of their yeah. former players, against
0: which, former players who have won won trophies with the club. Um, so that would be yeah that would, either way it would be cool but because it would be so cool that means Napoli guaranteed through but uh, Chelsea didn't make it easy on themselves in this in this first leg. No, no,
1: they looked they looked they forward. looked
0: like they, they looked like Chelsea. Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, it was a rough game. It was it was um, you know obviously they played which is now their second team. You know this was like a lot of the players that played in this game and struggled were the players that we saw as our first, like we're in our first choice 11 for most of the season. Um, you know, you got players like Marcus Alonso who have struggled. Um, Pedro and Willian, they were both playing. Giroud up top. You know, it was, it was an, interesting, an interesting game. What it did show, the positives you can take out of it is the fact that Chelsea did not play well and they were still able to get an away goal. And it was a big goal. Speaking of, of which, Marcus Alonso, with a with a late header, um, to to uh, really shore up things for them. Now they're going to go back to Stamford Bridge, and I'm sure they're going to play. Whether they play a better like starting eleven or not, who knows? But I think they're going to play better at home. So, but like you said, it's nothing. It, there was nothing clear cut about about that performance and that and that win. And I think maybe the most exciting thing about
0: this, uh, the Europa League quarterfinals, doesn't come from either of those English clubs. Doesn't come from the possibility of uh, Valencia or Villarreal having former Arsenal players returning to the Emirates if uh, Arsenal does go through. But João Felix, a hat trick for Benfica against Frankfurt. Uh, this player is really starting to uh, to show himself and there's always talks when, when there's a guy that's playing in Portugal, there's always talks. Oh, is it, is, do we finally have the next Ronaldo? No, because nobody is the next Ronaldo, but, um, a really exciting teenager for, uh, Benfica showing off his skills. And, um, you would, you would hope
1: that one day we get to see him in the champions league. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we may very much well see him in a Europa league final, you know, they're, they're set up to go to the semifinal. Um, you know, most likely will be playing Chelsea although they could be playing um, a tough team like Slavia Praha um, so I mean the stage is set for him to to really show himself and you know who knows this could be his last his last hurrah with Benfica he could be moving on to bigger greener pastures uh, with what he's been able to do um, for his team yeah absolutely and uh
0: let's move on from European competition we're gonna go pivot back towards the Premier League just for uh, a few minutes here before we end things up. But uh, I want to look just specifically at the top four and how things are shaping up. It's something that for the rest of the season we have to look at each and every week because of how things change. Um, You know, uh, Chelsea losing to Liverpool takes them out of the top four. Had they gotten even just a point from that, they uh, they would be... up in fourth place ahead of Arsenal. But like you said, I know I, I got to mention it. I got to mention it. I'm so sorry that Chelsea have played more games than Manchester United, who are in sixth with two points behind them. Uh, they've played less than Arsenal level on points, but above them on goal difference. And they have played one less than Tottenham, who have a point more. So Chelsea did... Pfft. It's tough to see them finishing anywhere but sixth, and they could still finish third. I don't know how to wrap my head around this top
1: four race. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, it makes it it makes it harder to wrap your head around it when teams have games in hand because mm-hmm. um, you have no idea what's going to happen in those games. Uh, but, I mean, I've thought it for a while now. Chelsea are the sixth best team in, in the league, so I, I see them nestling down to that sixth spot. Of course, I mean, like, United's game in hand is against City, so, like, Chelsea could still very much be above them after this after this week. Uh,
0: yeah, just as much as we're talking about how tough it is for City that their game in hand is against United, it's the same—United's game in hand is against City. So um, it that is going to have huge implications on both the title race and the top four, just like Man City Spurs is going to uh, at the weekend. Not Of course, not in the midweek, but um, the weekend matchup between them is going to be— going to be massive can city walk away from spurs and united with six points and if they do arsenal and chelsea will be thanking them greatly
1: yeah and liverpool will be turning their attention to the champions league
0: yeah liverpool will be turning their attention and being like really really spurs really united you couldn't just throw us a bone real quick now I think one of the most interesting things about the top four race and the title race, um, Liverpool or, uh, Manchester United fans want city to the majority wants city to win the title from what I can see on social media. Um, I don't know if I sent you the tweet, but there was someone tweeted out like this should be our starting lineup against city so that they can win the title and Liverpool don't. And it, Still included Phil Jones and Alexis Sanchez, but it also included uh, Manchester United assistant manager Mike Phelan. Um, it was just, it was just like a list of nobodies or players that played for United or like that were old. Um, but it was, it was pretty funny to look at. Now, yeah, you you could want City to win the title. It's weird because they're those are your two biggest rivals, um, but Liverpool the rivalry is more historic. And for City, the United and City, the rivalry is uh, about the geography, so that's yeah. why they would rather see City on top of it. But if if City beats you, you're not making top four.
1: Yeah, and I think I mean I think there's only one fan base in the entire country that wants Liverpool to win the league. I think everyone is really pulling for City. The hate for Liverpool is like. It's crazy over there. I I don't personally agree with it. Like I mean, I like I haven't been on. I haven't really we haven't followed it that, as much to like Liverpool haven't really been the annoying uh, top club that they were early on in the Premier League or even before the Premier League in English football. So like they they don't annoy me as much as they do most Eng- England fans. Um. So I like I'm kind of pulling for Liverpool here a little bit. Which I feel like puts me in the heavy minority, but you know, like I don't want to see City win again. It's just it's boring. It's boring to me with a team like that winning again and again.
0: Yeah, it's boring like that. Especially when the other European leagues are doing the same thing with U of A winning titles, Bayern back at the top of the Bundesliga, um, PSG bossing, uh, good old League One and uh Barcelona taking looking like they're going to take the title in uh La Liga. So I understand the repetitiveness. Um it's redundant watching the same teams lift the same trophies over and over again, but um it's I I would like to see City win the title purely based on banter. Because it's just, you know, you know well, we're at the top Liverpool we this is our year we're gonna do it and the banter of a team winning or l- not winning the title and having 90 points at least is insane
1: yeah and it's gonna it'll be so for Liverpool it'll be even the banter will be crazy I think even with city city winning the league especially the way they won the league last year if they are to get 90 plus points and get second, it will be less there'll be less banter involved because i think it'll be more like kind of like you know what like we had two great seasons you know last year we did that we had the best season out of any club in england ever and this year we followed it up with almost something almost as good it just wasn't good enough this year because liverpool was um so good whereas if liverpool do it it's like wow liverpool can't even win the league with 90 points yeah like they're never gonna win it exactly like it's
0: it's just like the a bad luck curse that the, that they have on themselves, um,
1: and we can certainly say it.
0: They could, they could finish the season with ninety seven points and not win the title.
1: It's How many did the Invincibles
0: have? Not that many. Um, like I can, it, I can tell you real quick.
1: Um, doesn't sound like you can because you ninety stalling. points. Ninety points. The Invincibles never lost a game. Ninety points. Liverpool are gonna have ninety-seven and lose the league. And they only have what one loss this season in the league. Two City. Yeah. So City have four losses. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how that works. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Tottenham have ten and one draw. They're in third. That and that
0: one that, draw was the North London Derby. That. They defied odds have to loss, not even yeah. to yeah. not even lose. Um, but let's talk real quick about Arsenal. Arsenal Watford. Arsenal managed to win away. They got a clean sheet away from home for the first time this season. But it was against a ten man Watford, which they didn't actually score against a ten man Watford. Uh, when it was eleven versus eleven, Arsenal have the lead one nil because of a Ben Foster mistake that Aubameyang pounced on, um, and then Troy Deeney was sent off, and neither team scored from that point on first question for you. I want to hear the unbiased opinion before I throw my biased opinion in there, just because I try to not be biased, but it's impossible. What was your thoughts on the Troy Deeney red card?
1: Um, I thought it was a little harsh, Um, but again, I know what it looks like from the, from the linesman, Um, but you know, they were playing clips from like a year ago where he, he even talked about what he wants to do against Arsenal players is, you know, give him a little hit or something like that. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm 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 going to hit
0: back. him I'm going to hit him first and see if they see who's up for it. And that's what he right. did. And um, so it's kind of weird so watching soccer in the US and we have NBC at pre-game, halftime, post-game we have the NBC commentators but it's not it wasn't Arlo White for a Monday night game. It was Ian Dark and the team from Sky Sports. Um, so not a, not there's no communication between uh, the pre-half and post-game team as there is with the uh, the actual play-by-play commentator um, at this point, like we get with Harlow White on the weekends. But from my understanding what with what uh, Martin Tyler is saying, um, it's that even if they had VAR, they're not going to overturn that. That's going to be a red card because because of the way that it was called on the field mostly because it's one of those things where – are you are you going to call it a yellow and then look at VAR to say that it's a red? Probably not. It's the, it's one of those calls that's just going to be, um, it's whatever just going to stay on it. the it stay whatever yeah. the call is on the field. Now, um, the the laws of the game for violent conduct. This is in the FA rulebook. Violent conduct is when a player uses or attempts to use excessive force or brutality against an opponent when not challenging for the ball or against a teammate. Team official, match official, spectator, or any other person, regardless of whether contact is made. So it looks at intent. And I don't think the intent is all that much to, you know, go and throw an elbow at him as it is to um, just make contact with him. And I the height difference um, is really why his arm hit him in the face. But he says, the rule also says, in addition, a player who, when not challenging for the ball, deliberately strikes an opponent or any other person in the head or face with a hand or arm is guilty of violent conduct unless the force was used negligible. So uh, the the thing is, he meant to make contact. It's, It's not his fault that Lucas Torreira is three foot two, but it is his fault that he put the referee in a position where he had to make a decision. Absolutely. Um, and a couple of seasons ago, Arsenal-Stoke in the Premier League, a penalty was awarded to Stoke because uh, Granite Xhaka's arm hit Joe Allen in the face. Now, Granit Xhaka standing next to Joe Allen looks like Shaq standing next to me. Um, and it just happens to be the hype. But it, 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 in a situation here, it's he is intending to hit a player, not challenging the ball. Right, he's not ch- the ball's already gone. He's not challenging for the ball. He's intending to hit this player, and the fact that he hit him in the face just because he didn't intend to doesn't mean that there shouldn't be punishment. I would have been fine with a yellow card, but as an Arsenal fan, I thought it was hilarious. I really did.
1: Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, it's like like I said, I think it's harsh, but again, Troy Deeney put himself in that situation. Yeah,
0: when you when you give the referees a decision to make. It's you can't you. get too mad on yeah on, on what he decides to to rule. Yeah. So um, I'm still sticking with my delusion last week that they will get more points at home than on the road because they looked terrible. Um, yeah, they were outplayed with, by like, ten with, man Watford. I know, it, embarrassing. Um, but let's move on because I can't can't get too heated because I'll ramble on for the next hour. Real quick, our Reddit question of the week this week was: Besides your club, what other Premier League team do you find yourself rooting for? I have a spot, a soft spot for Bournemouth, and really enjoy watching Crystal Palace as an Arsenal fan. The most popular team um, that was uh, left in the comments was Wolves. So we have Spurs fans, we have Chelsea fans saying they like Wolves, we have an Arsenal fan saying they like Wolves, and it's just it, they've been so good since coming up from the Championship. Um, an Arsenal fan saying Wolves and Bournemouth, Bournemouth. Uh, somehow someone said Newcastle. They're also an Atlanta, Atlanta United fan. So I'll give, him, I'll give I'll give them that one with Almiron. but uh Wolves, Palace and Bournemouth really really taking it on this one. Do you have a team are are you kind of in the same boat as me with the with the Crystal Palace Eagles and the Cherries of Bournemouth?
1: Yeah, and I do like I do like uh what Wolves has done this season. Leicester's also given their his, their recent history um is another is another team I like I like watching um and you know Jamie Vardy in particular. Uh, but yeah, I would say Bournemouth, Crystal Palace, mm-hmm. Wolves. That sounds that sounds about right. Those are probably the like most likable teams. Now those top ones.
0: Now going into next week, our question is going to revolve around what players that have left the Premier League um, have been the most exciting since leaving. Um, so, if you have any thoughts on that, head over, follow us on uh, Reddit, uh, subscribe to our page uh footy do, and we post all these questions in the premier league sub reddit
1: and now my friend what is your delusion of the week um so i thought of, this one is I, i've had this one probably for a while um been sort of back and forth on it and my delusion this week is that alex iwobi's hair is too long i'm kidding that's not excuse not me my actual that's not my delusion um uh, my delusion is top four or not. Maurizio Sarri has to go. Interesting. Do you
0: think that if even if you guys do get the top four, uh, there's not much more that this team can accomplish, or what's that's, what's the yeah, reason that's, behind
1: it? I think what we've seen from from Chelsea um, for, throughout a whole season. I think without being able to bring in players. Which I mean, there's still the the transfer ban. We're not sure what what's going to come of that. Um, the next couple windows, we've yeah, we've seen, we've we've seen the best of what we're going to get from. Sorry, this team doesn't look like a team that's ever going to uh, challenge for a title under him. I think one of the big things he said after you know Chelsea. It, he saw improvement in their performance against Liverpool this past week. Uh, you know, they held on for a lot longer than, you know, I think in, in other ma- other big matches they conceded later. And that's, sh- that sh- it's weird that that's a talking point. That's not anywhere near where you want to be. These Chelsea top six this season have picked up, I believe, 11 points. Um, which is it's it's nowhere near good enough. Uh had their they've had some big wins. They beat Spurs. They beat Arsenal at the beginning of the season. They had that big win against City. Um. But I mean, against Liverpool, they gained one point against Liverpool. They they've only managed, you know, against the top six, you gotta you gotta get at least four points against some of them on that challenge. uh first, you know, for the for the top six and you know, in this scenario for the top four, which they there's um It's, it's something that I think, I think I'm coming to realize it's, this is it. This is the best we're going to see from them.
0: Yeah. Not- and um, for me, it's, I, I would never want a manager um, at a club that I root for a club that I support to not have a plan B and he is so stubborn with it. And it's, it's something that with Arsenal, um, supporting Arsenal is kind of weird because you can't predict a starting lineup from Unai Emery ever. There's, no, there's really just no consistency. Um, and although that can be frustrating, it shows a sign of we're going to take into account our opponent, what they can bring to the table, and then who we have available. For, for Chelsea, it's four three three. Whoever's available is going to fit into that mold and i respect him for sticking to his guns but i just don't think that that's the way to to manage a side because if you you know some teams will have they're they're losing they're going to bring on a second striker they're going to play a 442 they're going to play some some uh, they're going to change formations. Mauricio Sarri is not willing to do anything like that. So usually our delusions we can kind of disagree with, we can kind of go back and forth on this one I'm I'm going to agree with you 100%. There
1: we go. Not very delusional then. Yeah,
0: we got to tone it down sometimes.
1: <laughs> I mean, so that, that that was probably the one I was expecting to be like one of my first delusions on this podcast. And then, you know, Chelsea've actually played pretty good recently, but I mean, playing pretty good isn't beating West Ham at home, Brighton and I don't I forget who else they just recently beat in beating you know Slavia Prague, they got a, a team like a game against Liverpool in a big match. It's not ju- it's not just Liverpool. You know, look at Chelsea. They got third the year that the last time Liverpool and City were going for the title, Chelsea got third that season. Yeah, and they were going up against Liverpool, and the Gerrard slip happened. But Chelsea went into that game with the mentality of we're not going to be the team that gets pushed over to the side to let this team win the league. They didn't, ha- they, they didn't show that this time around. And, you know, like I said when we were talking about it earlier, you know, like Hazard didn't have a great game against Liverpool. But I think a lot of that, I mean, there's some shots he says he should have scored, he wasn't nearly as clinical, but I think a part of it is down to the fact that his manager played him out of position and put Chelsea in a worse position to win that game. They won three games in a row going into that game and then he changed it up. Like... Just play. Just do what you've been doing. It's been working.
0: Yeah. It seems that he changes things up when he shouldn't, and doesn't change things up when he should. It's kind of a, a weird conundrum that Chelsea have found themselves in. But um, we've we've got not not a lot more time to uh, to be discussing who's going to finish in the top four. Chelsea may find their way in, but it doesn't look all that likely right now. Um, with a month left to play in the season. Yeah.
1: Who do you think? Who who's your top? Who are your two teams that, that get the top four?
0: I think that. Um, I think that. United and
1: Spurs get into the top four. Arsenal, yeah. Chelsea miss out. Uh, I agree. And we'll be back here again talking Europa League next season. Should be fun. <laughs> Can't wait for it. Yeah. Um. But thank you so much for listening in. Please follow us on all social media. It's at Footy Adieu on both Twitter, and. Instagram. Also check out our Reddit page where you can answer our questions and we will talk about them on each podcast. Also leave us a review, not like the one that our mom initially left for us as told in this week's story. Um, you know, tell us something about, I don't know, your, your fandom, what team you support, why you support it. Um, but yeah, like, like we said, five-star reviews help us get uh, more exposure. And we're we're hoping to grow our our follower base and, and keep keep talking footy. So please uh, check that out and check us out on social media. And um, we will we look forward to talking about this week in and week out.